All right, if you would, let's turn over to Psalm 136 again this morning. Psalm 136, we began looking at this psalm and considering the thought, O give thanks unto the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. This morning we want to consider not only His mercy enduring forever, but we want to give thanks for His name. O give thanks for His name. If you look with me at verse number 3, the Bible says, O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him who alone doeth great wonders, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for His mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for His mercy endureth forever. In these first four verses of Psalm 136, we see a reference made to the names of God. We see the term the Lord. We see the God of gods. We see the Lord of lords. It's important for us to remember this morning that in every name, under every title of God, every attribute of God, we ought to glorify and honor and magnify His goodness and, of course, His greatness. The thoughts and intents of our heart ought to be continually looking upon God. We ought to consider that it is His ever-enduring mercy and His great wisdom, as we'll see also this morning, that lead us to wonder at the very creation of God. We can think about the names of God, and we know throughout Scripture that there are various names and titles given to Him, and they describe various attributes of God. And the psalmist in Psalm 136 for sure has these thoughts in mind. But our primary emphasis this morning will be on the truth of the glory of His name and how we ought to give thanks for this most glorious name. As we looked last week and began to consider again this morning, we know that the psalmist here is very deliberate um, on considering and thinking about the subject that is before us. Uh, He is deeply overcome, uh, and I also would say deeply impressed Uh, with the subject. He is overcome with Jehovah's goodness. He's overcome with Jehovah's mercy. He's overcome that it mercy has flown and flown out to him. He's almost amazed that this mercy is that good. He's almost in astonishment that this mercy flows from a God who seemingly seems to be a God who cannot be reached or a God who cannot be touched. The fact that the phrase, His mercy endureth forever, is mentioned 26 times tells us that there is something that we are to admire about the continuance of God's mercy. It is not mercy that flows and then stops and then flows again and stops or would be the unthinkable that His mercy would stop towards us entirely. The psalmist as he admires the Lord in his minds and in his, in his mind and in his thoughts, he considers how 
God's name ought to be glorified in all of His works. That's really what we see happening in verses 5 through 9. He thinks about the names of God. He considers the wisdom of God that went into creating the very universe, creating the earth, and he admires God's mercy in creation. Even the act of creation from God is an act of mercy. The fact that we'll talk about and see this in a few moments, the fact that uh, this earth that we know, this earth that we uh, live upon, uh, it is only by His mercy that it is not destroyed. It's only by His mercy that it's not overflowing with water at this very moment. It is His mercy that is indeed holding the waters back. And He says we ought to give thanks to the Lord. Notice he says we ought to be thankful for God's providence in creation. We ought to be thankful for God's grace and His mercy that endures forever. Uh, this psalm is referred to by the Jews as the great thanksgiving psalm. Very appropriate for this time of year, I believe. And again, these psalm, this psalm contains those three names of deity. Uh, those three names that are being mentioned there are Jehovah. It is God, it is Lord, respectively. The first, Jehovah, has reference to His essence as being self-existent. His, uh, his proper name is the second name that is referred to as God. It designates Him um, as Elohim. And then that third term, which is in our first verse we read today, the Lord of Lords, uh, that is a reference to the Lord as our Adonai. Uh, represents him as exercising rule over all these things. So we see the name of Jehovah, we see the name Elohim, and we see the name of Adonai. Uh, there's a beautiful verse found in Psalm 75, verse 1. You don't have to turn now, I'll read it to you, but you certainly may if you'd like to. It says, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks. Notice the repetition there. For that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. That psalm writer in Psalm 75 is thankful that the name is near. That the name of God is near unto him. What a great reminder this is today as we consider the name of God. And consider the subject this morning, O give thanks for his name. But let's look at these verses more closely. Again, look at verse number 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. We see that reference to the Lord of lords. Uh, this is a different word than Jehovah, which we saw those three designations. It is a word that is frequently uh, given to the second person of the essence. In other words, it signifies Lord or governor. Uh, all the powers of nature... Uh, all the powers of the universe are under the immediate control and sovereignty of this God of gods and this Lord of lords. The psalmist wants us to consider from the perspective of Jehovah's goodness, which is what we learned about last week. We learn that be, consider his goodness. And as you consider his goodness, consider what he has done to demonstrate his goodness towards you. Consider, not only is He good, but consider He is Lord. Consider His sovereignty. And consider that all those things, He extends mercy over all His creatures. 
the work of his hands, the work of what he has put into place. Each part of this psalm or this song is like a chorus. Each, each verse, and then there's a chorus. For his mercy endureth forever. There's a thought, and then there's a chorus. There's a thought, and then there's a chorus. And all of the chorus is driving us back to the reality of what this great God has done. Again, remember, the psalmist is very deliberate in how he's approaching this. He's very deliberate in considering not only God's goodness, but considering God's mercy. He's considering, in verse 4, to him who alone doeth great wonders. And again, the chorus. For his mercy endureth forever. You notice this very gradual manner in which the psalmist is dealing with the subject of thanksgiving. He continues to put a thought about God, and then he sings a chorus. He considers another reason to be thankful, and he sings a chorus. Really, when we think about the subject of thanksgiving, oftentimes, and I don't think it's wrong per se, our thanksgiving is often about the material things in which God has granted, and we certainly are thankful for those. We're thankful for the blessings, and we're thankful for the blessings of not only God's daily provision, we're thankful for the gift of family, we're thankful for the gifts that God gives us. But the subject of thanksgiving before the psalmist's eyes and in his heart is the thanksgiving we ought to have for an almighty God who has extended mercy to his creatures. You see, without mercy, there is no daily provision. Without mercy, there is no goodness. We see we have an understanding of God's goodness by the mercy in which he has demonstrated, demonstrated towards us. The psalmist, as he takes this gradual step now towards the subject of thanksgiving, notice he now makes mention in verse 4 to the wonders that God alone does. The wonder of grace. The wonder of mercy. The wonder of an everlasting love. Consider that one for just a moment. Everlasting love. What a wonder that is. The wonder towards everything that grace is. The wonder of nature. The wonder of creation. The wonder of His perfections. The wonder of His attributes. The wonders of His glory. We talked a little bit about this on Wednesday evening. How the glory of the Lord is really when you have reached the limits of what human can express, that's what the glory of God is. We can't express in human terms just how great and good God is. The creation of the world, we often don't think about how his wisdom is the very source of what creation is. Think about how he designed everything. Think about how everything in the earth is perfectly designed and being perfectly held together by wonders that only he can do. It's not held by scientific phenomenon. That is not what's holding this world together. It is not scientific theory that's being proven to say these are why the things are. What creation is is a wonder of God's grace and mercy. The very fact that we are even standing on dry ground today 
is the very fact that it is his hand which holds the oceans back. It was the same wonder when God flooded this earth by his own hand. But you notice here that the psalmist is embracing all of what God is, all of who God is, not only the creation of the world, but he even makes reference to the creation of man. Many of the psalms make mention of not only the creation of man, but the creation of angels. We read psalms concerning the fall, how man fell. We read psalms about the prophecies of the coming revelation of Christ. We read psalms about the promise and the wonder of how Christ is going to come into the world. And through Christ, the purposes of God are going to be made manifest. Those are altogether wonderful. The mind cannot fully comprehend just how good and great God is. To the psalmist, Jehovah is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is God alone. He is ruler. He is authority. He governs not only this world, but governs this universe according to his perfect purposes and his plan. This is a theme that continues throughout this entire psalm. It's very easy to follow. Some psalms are difficult to follow the path that he's taking here. But we see that he talks about the name of the Lord first in those first four verses. And then when we get to verse 5 through verse number 9, he talks about the wisdom of God's creation. And again, it leads the psalmist to say, to whose name alone is worthy to receive all the praise and honor, this great God alone does great wonders. That's the God that the psalmist has before. This is not a God of his imagination. This is not a God that he's created. Not a God of philosophy. It's the God of the universe. This psalmist's mind is completely taken up with the thoughts of thanksgiving. He's thankful, I think personally, that his mercy extends to him. It's one thing to look back and to say we're thankful for mercy that was given to such and such a group of people or an individual. But what about the thankfulness for the mercy that's been displayed to you? The mercy that God has displayed. Again, he says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Remember, he is good. His mercy endures forever. Give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders. You know, the scientist has tried for years to try to find something more wonderful as a creator than God. You realize that's really what the scientist is after. They're seeking for something that cannot be, cannot be found beyond God. They're trying to find an explanation for something that the explanation's already been given to us and the explanation's already standing right before us. Creation itself, Romans 1 tells us, leaves man without excuse to acknowledge that there's a God. 
The atheist becomes an atheist by choice, not by proof. It isn't a lack of proof. He chooses to become an atheist. He chooses to ignore the wonder of God's creation. Even a reasonable thinker comes to the conclusion that you cannot have what you have before us out of some thought of randomness. It has to have an author. It has to have a beginning. There has to be a moment in time when God created. The scientist keeps coming to a conclusion that is false. My science proves this. His science is wrong. There's a creator. When we properly take in what I believe the psalmist is describing under the inspiration of the Spirit, when we take this into our true soul, into our soul, not just our mind, what this leads us to do, it's, it's intended to draw our heart and our, our souls and our minds out. It's intended to, to draw something out of us. And what it should draw out of us is it should fill our mind with amazement and wonder about just how good God is. We shouldn't take contemplating God's majesty lightly. We should not take His goodness lightly. We shouldn't just take His mercy as something that was God was obligated to give us. But we ought to be revealing in our mind over and over and over again the wonders of God. The wonders of His grace. What He has created. What He has done. Again, notice the psalmist says it is to him alone that doeth great wonders. He alone does things that no mere man can do. It is God alone who does these great wonders. And then as we see in those verses 5 through 9, we see this mind being completely taken over, not only with the name of God, which is what leads him to praise he praises the essential goodness of God from which all mercy flows. He thinks about the infinite love of God. And he, give thank, he gives thanks for the God of gods, the Lord of lords, because His mercy endures forever. God's greatness is beyond that of every king who has ruled or ever will rule on this earth. His greatness is also not surpassed by any other principality. He's not surpassed by any other government. And it is the joyous theme of the believing soul. The greatness of God. His greatness and His goodness go together. God is not great without being good and He's not good without being great. This makes us magnify His name even more because the goodness and the greatness of God come together that makes us respond by saying, oh, give thanks for His name. The name is not just a title that we give to some unknown being. It is the name of God. In many cases, I do believe that the Jewish people had it right. They didn't even dare speak the name Jehovah. 
And in our world today and in our churches, sadly, we can become so flippant with the idea of we can just say the name of God as if we're just saying the name of another individual without contemplating His majesty, without contemplating His goodness and His greatness. It is not just another name. It's a name that is intended to draw out the very deepest admiration and worship. Not just something we consider just for a moment. I don't think it's wrong to consider that we ought to contemplate God's goodness every moment of every day. Not just during worship on a Sunday. But we ought to make this time an occasion for us to praise and let our hearts worship truly in spirit and in truth. Man-centered worship so misses the reality of the attributes of God. Worship was never intended about to be about the worshiper. It was about to be the, it was about the object of our worship. Worship is about worshiping God for who He is, not for what we want Him to be. Not for the God we've created in our own minds, but the God who has declared Himself to be these things. Have we ever really stopped to think about what He's saying here in these verses 5 through 9 about creation? To Him, verse 5, that by wisdom, notice how He made it, by wisdom He made the heavens. You see, it is when we get this glorious picture of the name of God and these great wonders He does that the psalmist now moves and he says, oh, give thanks for His wisdom. And he declares that the wisdom of God is clearly seen in His acts of creation, which is what verses 5 through 9 summarize. It is God that made the heaven. How did He make it? By wisdom. Well, wisdom is not just an attribute. Wisdom is in the form of a person. Every bit of God's creation was a spiritual act. It wasn't just a physical act. It was an act done by a God alone who was capable of doing it. Jehovah, Almighty God, makes the heavens. He stretches out the earth. He puts it above the waters. He makes great lights. He makes the sun. He makes the moon. He makes the stars. Have you ever just stopped long enough in the busyness of this life and considered the amazing truth of just God's creation when you look at the moon at night and you look at the stars and you consider the sun that comes out? Every one of those things was, were created by the wisdom of God. They're perfectly placed and they're doing what God intended for them to do. He set each star in its proper place. Those are all acts of mercy. The act of creation was an act of God's divine sovereignty. It is He who created it. Revelation 4.11 Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. He created it for His pleasure. The world was created by this Almighty God. But don't lose sight of the fact that this world was created and that we see even in the, the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis that the Trinity was all part of creation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit 
And creation was created with the thought in mind, according to God's thoughts, of a Christ, of a God-man, as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God, of course, completely understood that all of Adam's race would be a sinner. And he provided a way of salvation. Before the first sin was committed, a way of salvation was already provided. That's a wonder. It's one thing to respond to a situation. It's another thing to respond before man even commits that which he would do. Christ, of course, we would learn, becomes the, he becomes the surety for his people. He was the one who would be slain and would take away the sin. With those things in view, we have to then consider the creation of heaven and earth. All of this creation and everything contained within creation is ascribed and given to Jehovah's mercy. It is an act of mercy by His wisdom that this world was created. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. The heavens were created. The earth was created. The heavens which contained all of these things were formed and fashioned by God speaking them into existence. In Psalm 33, 6, the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Meditate on that just for a moment. This incomprehensible trinity, the essence of God, the act of creation, the psalmist clearly is ascribing the very making of the, the universe and the earth and the heavens to wisdom. It is by He who is wisdom that made the heavens. Wisdom is not just an attribute or a characteristic. It is He who is wisdom. It is He who is just like He is essentially good. God is essentially wise. We're told throughout Scripture that we are to seek wisdom, are we not? We're told that we should seek it out. It's not just seeking a characteristic or an attribute. It is in the very fact of seeking God. Seeking wisdom. The wisdom of God, He who is essentially good, He who is essentially wise, He who has been revealed. How has the wisdom of God been revealed? It's been revealed in the second person of the, of the Godhead. He who was set up as God and man in one Christ. The wisdom of God is no better displayed than in the wisdom that is found in Christ alone. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.9 says, God created all things. How? By Jesus Christ. If you'll turn over to Ephesians just for a moment, I want you to see this. Because he goes on. It's an amazing thing how often 
the Apostle Paul draws our attention back to creation. Ephesians 3.9 And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things. Notice, He created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Paul also in the first chapter of Colossians, speaking of Christ as the God-man, in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says this, speaking of Christ as the God-man, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. There is this reference to the Second, the Son as being the very essence of wisdom. The divine trinity set up this God-man who is wisdom and by whom the worlds were created and the worlds were made. Now again, look at verse 5 and consider that verse again. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. For his mercy endureth forever. The heavens were made and, and the earth was made and together with the angels and all that was created, we have this beautiful picture of what God has done. As we conclude this morning, I want us to consider that as we attempt as the psalmist to comprehend all of God's works, I hope this morning we'll think about even the least of God's works is greater than what any man can do. The least of God's works are far superior than man's greatest work. The psalmist, I believe, wants us to comprehend here to awaken our admiration of God. Not just admiring an unknown being, but to admire a God who can be known through His Word. When we pray worshiping in spirit and in truth, we're worshiping with knowledge and understanding. We're not praying to the unknown God like Paul said to those at Mars Hill. You're praying to an unknown deity. We're praying with admiration and we're giving thanks to a God who has made himself known. The most thankful thing we can say is that he's made himself known to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that when we see Christ, we see the Father. We see the Godhead. But He also awakens our attention to the great wisdom and the divine power of God. I know we don't like to think about ourselves this way, but we are all prone to thoughtlessness. 
We are prone to just go through life in a, pardon the expression, autopilot mode. Our routines just simply get us up every day and we move about our day and we put our head down at night and we stop and we think, I have not at one moment today intentionally meditated on the truth of God today. We are all prone to thoughtlessness. It is true, sometimes our thoughts are worthless thoughts. We meditate upon things of only temporal value. We meditate upon things that really are not going to matter. We fret and we worry and we become anxious about things. And oftentimes we're anxious and we're fretful because we have not thought upon and been thankful for God's mercy enough. It's not our circumstances, folks, that are the problem. It's our thoughtlessness. We're not intentionally ascribing thanksgiving to God for who he is and his acts that bring wonder. Like we talked about Wednesday night, it's not that there's not real affliction in this world and there's not that there is not times of suffering. But we also learn how even the affliction that God puts upon us comes from his sovereign hand. And what is its intent? Its intent is to drive our eyes back to think upon him. Affliction is not without purpose. I think this psalm really calls us from thoughtlessness. Consider, meditate, think upon. And he does that by declaring these things so that we would not undervalue them or maybe even forget them. Those of us and some will understand what we're talking about here as we continue to progress in age in this life, I will tell you, forgetfulness will become more common. And we often think, well, there are certain things I won't forget about. Listen, we meditate upon God and we meditate upon Him with intent and purpose and motive to think about who He is. The psalmist declares that whatever is worthy of admiration, whatever is worthy of worship, don't miss this, whatever is worthy of our admiration and worthy of worship are only those things that are done by God. It is so easy to admire man's ingenuity, man's worth, what man has created. We can thoughtlessly give more glory and credit to a man who creates a great earthly invention and lose sight of the fact the wonders of creation are never surpassed by what man can do. We are to consider and to think. Think about, he said, God alone does these things. We cannot transfer even the smallest portion of praise to some other person without violating God's wisdom and His holiness. When you ascribe something to man that only God alone is worthy to receive, you commit a great offense against God. God alone has done these things. There is nothing in this world that is worthy to be compared or equaled with God. God displays His wisdom, displays with, the perfect, with perfectness, without error, even in the way the very heavens were framed. 
gives all the evidence that even the atheist who claims to believe there isn't a God, all the evidence he needs to believe that there is a God in heaven. I trust we can rest in these works. We think of often about the things that ought to take our minds, ought to capture our thoughts, and I hope it's his mercy. I hope it's his name. I hope it's his goodness. I hope it's his greatness. And I hope as it did with the psalmist, it'll lead us to a heart that intentionally meditates and thinks about the things of God and give thanks unto his name for he certainly is worthy. Before we sing our hymn to close this time out, let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we rejoice in even just the portions of scripture that we've read together today. And Lord, may we not be guilty of thoughtlessness. May we take every thought captive. May we not allow our minds to wander away and to become forgetful of the true God. May we, as the psalmist, magnify the name of our God. May we glory in his wisdom and creation. And Lord, during this time that we set apart each and every year to consider thanksgiving, Lord, may this not just be a momentary meditation. May it be the thought and the intent of our heart is to think upon the work of an almighty God. Father, we thank you for the work of saving our souls and providing the way of salvation through Christ Jesus. And may we be truly thankful that all of creation points us to an almighty God. And we magnify you for all of your works. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.